Well, hello everyone and welcome to our first Career and Life Wellbeing podcast for 2019. Thanks for being here on this live webinar session today. I'm joined by career and life design expert and author of Think, Plan, Live, my partner in crime, Jill McLaren. Hi, Jill. Welcome. Yeah. Hi, Emma. It's great to be having this conversation, as always is, with you as we stare down the barrel of 2019. I don't know about you, but it's only February and my calendar is already so full with work and school and other life things that are all equally demanding my time and attention right now. And I'm having that sense of deja vu, here we go again, just can see that playing out. And I know that I say that every year and it's an ongoing challenge and I keep trying strategies to make it easy, right? Um, and I know that some of these things work and some don't and, and I actually laugh thinking about some of the things that I'm doing and you know some of the things that work. Um, it was actually, Everyone in my office thought it was quite hilarious, actually, like this example where I bought this Kiki K to-do notepad just before Christmas last year. And I'd invested in this and I was determined that, you know, I was going to use this one-page pad to just make my Christmas so much easier. Anyway, there, I, you'll laugh. There's not a single thing written on it. I didn't even take it out of the wrapping, really? Jill. <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you today because... Yeah, I, I'm sure this will be helpful for me and, you know, as it is for everybody listening. So, everyone, we are live, as I mentioned before. This is your opportunity to jump online and ask questions of Jill and I as we go through and share tips on, um, you know, really how we're dealing with career and life planning ourselves, but also bringing up the conflicts that we experience. So please share away. We want to hear even what you're doing that you think might be working or not working that you want to share with everybody else. So get involved in the conversation. Imagine it's a bit like ABC's Q&A show. That's kind of how I have it in my head, Jill. Absolutely. Um, you, you ask the questions, everyone, <laughs> and we'll do our best to answer them. Um, and so whilst I wait for some questions to come through the line for those of you that are experienced with uh, GoToWebinar, um, I have a few to get us started, Jill. Get us started, Emma. Yeah, so I thought these were the things we would explore. Um, we all experience work-life conflict and, frankly, it's a part of everyday existence, isn't it? But um, let's explore today what's normal, what to expect, um, you know, that would be a challenge that would come up and anticipate versus how do we know when it's literally time to say, right, time out, this really isn't working for me, I need to do something completely different. So that difference between it's normal, it's okay, that's what's happening to no, no, my life's a disaster, I need to do this differently. Um, I'm interested to explore that. The other thing I want to do is talk about how we identify our own stressors. So what is really causing us to feel that work and family life or home life is in conflict? You know, what is it that's really getting underneath there? Um, and as a result, you know, what can we do to create a proactive plan to reduce the conflict in our life and integrate work and home life better? So I thought they would be three meaty topics. They're big. <laughs> They're big. Um, now, interestingly, I thought I'd start with a bit of research because um, it's no, it's no um, surprise, I guess, that work-life balance has been discussed or the lack of it, let's say, has been discussed for some time. There's been lots of research done around the role of work and family conflict and, and how we actually overcome some of it. But interestingly, this particular piece of research that I'll just read out now, we say that um, 
Balancing work and family demands is a critical challenge for most people. And whilst much of the extent literature on the topic of work-family has traditionally focused on work and family role conflict, more recent research has begun to realise that individuals can achieve work-life balance and can actually improve their quality of life by participating in both roles. Now, this is interesting because so much of the research has been done around work-life conflict, around all the things, the barriers, all the negative, if you like, that interplay to create the conflict in the first place. But this research is suggesting that there is much more literature now on the fact that it can work and they're studying people where it is actually working for them. So I know you're passionate about this all oh, too, yeah. Jill. Um, <laughs> so I guess where to begin with this conversation, Jill? Um, let's start by really maybe that piece that I was just talking about, what's normal to expect and anticipate? What's your thoughts as we open this topic today? I mean, what's normal is that, that life's going to throw different things at us. And to some extent, we have to adjust to that. I think this piece on work-life balance or conflict, um, I've been wrestling with that concept for, for a long time, actually. I suppose it's the origins of some of the work I've done on what I call best life design. Um, but for me, at the core of it is... Well, life balance suggests that, you know, we put things in neat boxes. You know, there's a bit of work over here and then there's some life over here and then there's some family over here and they're all in different boxes. And therefore, if they're in different boxes, that means they can be at conflict for each other because if we prioritise one, then we might inadvertently deprioritise another. Um, I'm a much bigger fan of what I would call life integration. Um, so you've only got one life at the end of the day. Um, mm. And therefore, how do we best integrate all the aspects of our life that we think are really important uh, to make sure that we are doing that to the best of our ability, to the best that we can? Um, so what would be an enabler doing that? That sounds kind of easy. Wouldn't it be nice if we could kind of integrate the whole thing? Um, a big thing that I think is, a, is the best place to start to kind of de-stress it is knowing what you really value. Um, so for example, the origins of life design starts with your top five values uh, and check in on the list of what you really value. So you had to literally write a list down of all the things I value in life um, and kind of capture those and then literally subdivide them between what's very important and a bit important and, and not important at all. And the ones that are your very important are the ones that basically you just couldn't live without. You know, so mm. if you do that prioritization and kind of say these are the most important things, and if everything else was stripped away, these are the things I really value in life. Um, that's a great place to start to try and de-stress it, because if we start with the things that are really important to us, uh, we tend to feel less guilty about maybe prioritizing the things that aren't quite so important. If we've never done that list, we're literally at the beck and call of anyone who says anything's important and we get pulled in lots of directions. So I find by not doing that list, by not being clear what's really important to us, we don't end up prioritising what we value. Um, and typically the thing I find people cross off the list, if they don't do that, is typically themselves. Uh, what do I mean by that is that you typically check that oh they're okay the kids are okay work's okay you know dinner's on the table okay you know there's a whole range of things that are okay and then typically the thing that's not okay is you you know the individual mm. who kind of go well actually my me time's disappeared I'm not really taking care of myself health's gone out the window um, so I think by having things that you value you put yourself in the mix as well you kind of go this is what's important from a family perspective this is what's important to me this is what I want to stand for at work and actually planning that out is is really key um and what i found is that and again is it perfect no but what i would say is 
you know, 80% of what you plan for is better than 100% of what you didn't plan for. Um, so <laughs> if you end up getting some of that right, then actually you'll be more on track with a plan rather than no plan at all. And literally we get pulled in all directions. You know, work gets busy. I kind of gravitate to work. You know, kids get demanding. I gravitate to that. And that's where the conflict comes. Um, I find when people haven't just thought about what's really important to me and that's my bar. I'm going to judge myself about am I getting a good blend of what I think is really important and am I integrating that in such a way that I'm kind of getting things done most of the time. And then if a curveball comes along, you can handle it because you kind of go, is that important? How important is that? Do I need to drop things to do that? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good, good place to start. Yeah, that sounds very disciplined. It is. <laughs> Against the chaos of how it works in practice. Yeah. It's, it's so true. And, you know, obviously everything you've said makes complete sense. Of course. Why, you know, aren't we all walking around thinking about what's really important to us and making sure that's prioritised? But you're quite right. We don't because in the noise of life, uh, as you say, people need stuff at certain times and we've got to conform to what others need around us. But you're right. Having a good starting point for, okay, what's my day looking like today? What do I really need to get done? What's really important to me today? And having that conversation, I call that your critical conversation yeah. with yourself, right, is one thing. And But what about how do you translate that? Because you, you might be clear about what you value and what you want to get done today and you've had that conversation with yourself and you're clear and determined about that. But then uh, how do you translate that important list to others? Because often... I think perhaps there's this mm, osmosis that we think that that's just come from us and doesn't the other person know that these are our priorities? And and a good example is obviously my husband at home, you know, and I think, oh, yeah, you know, hasn't he just got that this really important? (laughs) And then I think, no, he hasn't because I haven't spelt it out and no, he doesn't think like me. And so that's that responsibility. I might have had that conversation with myself I haven't communicated it clearly to others. Um, and, yeah, sometimes that's easier said than done, I guess, because one of it, I've, I've given an example just now, which is about unawareness. Yeah. But for others, they really are very aware that they haven't made it obvious to others and they're stuck in how to communicate it. In other words, they they find it difficult to put it out there, what their conflict is and what they need dealt with. Um, you know, What's your strategy idea if that's your issue, you know? I think one challenge is whether we do ask for help or signal what we need. Yeah. And I suppose, and again, it did sound, you know, like plan it. It's as simple as that. You just plan yeah. it out. As soon as you've done the plan, you can pretty much guarantee that the plan will to some degree go out the window as soon as you walk out the door or yeah. um, so to some extent, how do I course correct or adjust when things go not to plan is a key piece, um, but also being comfortable to ask for help. Uh, so one thing about planning would be what's on my to-do list, which is what I would call my only I can do list. So there may be things on your only I can do list that literally only you can do. So, for example, if you've committed, I don't know, I'm going to be home to have dinner with the family. You know, I can't show up as an, you know, no one else can show up at dinner and get away with it. It's going to have to be me. That's on my very important list. Uh, there may be other things where someone else could do that, you know, so things don't go to plan. I don't know. I can't get there to pick the kids up from school. You had a really good friend. She's done it. The wheels have not fallen off. I can probably ask someone else to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel our radar is always great on what are the only I can do lists versus that stuff needs to get done. 
Um, mm. So I feel we often don't mobilize. And, you know, that goes true for, you know, how things play out at work or, you know, the juggle with our family. So you can't over communicate enough. And even if it doesn't go quite a plan, other people will kind of rally around as well, I think often. But but I find a lot of people sit with it kind of going, oh, I feel so guilty. I'm a failure. I should have got across all of that. I'm going to just try and get it all done. Mm. Um, and that typically isn't humanly possible. So I think it's it's how do you do that? But I come back to that values list. If you knew what was really valuable and, you know, these are things I must get done. So if someone else kind of comes in with something that puts you in a, a stress or conflict situation, in your own mind, have that compass going, which is like, well, hang on a minute, that thing that's just cropped up. How important is that in the moment now? Would I derail everything else I was going to do today to drop all those other things to go do that thing? Mm. Uh, you get a much bigger, better radar going. So if you're integrating, you get a better radar going about this is very important. This is not important. You know, so you're making quicker decisions. Um, if you haven't got that radar out, we tend to gravitate to the noisiest thing so if something flares up you kind of i've just got to pay attention to that but inadvertently we could have been not paying attention to something else that was really important so mm. so i'd say that have that compass going in your life but how's it going you know is that important or not important how do i reprioritize um mm. would be mm. a key piece and also as i say ask for help delegate to others <laughs> if you've got anyone to help with you with that yeah i i'm as i talk to you i'm i'm thinking i guess it's a good um, suggestion as well to really think about what's getting in the way right yes. so this concept of okay if I am feeling um, conflicted over you know whatever's cropping up and I'm feeling that pretty regularly I mean this is the point between you know when's it normal versus yes. when is it time you know really you've got to call time out this isn't working for me anymore is this concept of going well if I'm constantly feeling in conflict and I'm not sure how to really resolve this issue around you know whatever it is X and it might be multiple things I mean yeah. I think it's true that it's not usually one thing that completely derails someone it's often a number of things it's that straw that broke the camel's back if you like that you think goodness right this is this is it I can't stand this job anymore or I can't make this family situation work anymore I've, I've got to do something different is um, really being able to identify what is it that gets under your skin? What is it that's that particular stressor that keeps coming up time and time and time again? And, you know, even this week, um, as I said to you, I'm already feeling that overwhelm of, goodness, <laughs> there's so much going on and, you know, we're only the beginning of February really. And I stopped at that moment and thought, what is it that's starting to really irritate me already about? And I was reflecting with one of my colleagues and we were actually able to name what was really, you know, frustrating me. And that was the first time we'd done that in a while, that we'd actually created some time to even have the conversation. And then we were like, right, yeah, let's just not do that this year like yeah. let's you know make sure that we do that differently this year and I can say that's really been the first time in a long time I've actually named the conflict that I really was getting the trigger if you like that was really getting under my skin so is it useful to kind of make your conflict list which sounds a bit you know negative actually but I'm wondering whether it might be useful to write down all the things that are really conflicting you so in the same way that you're writing down your values list. Yep, 
I think that's a great idea. And again, what I would call in life design, I think what, what your tension points are. So, yeah. Um, and actually, how do you know what you at conflict or at imbalance looks like uh, and paying attention to those? Because there be there can be physical signs of it, emotional signs of it, you know. So is it when I'm feeling guilty or anxious or angry or frustrated? So to, to start with just paying attention to when do I feel in that conflict situation? When do I feel more anxious or when do those stresses come? Um, and then almost look at where they came from and what are the things that keep emerging. Um, I think you're right, Emma, that the same things tend to pop up. Mm. Um, and they do, I do know, I keep coming back to values, but they do tend to link back to your values. I mean, if I, if I think about my own example, uh, probably one stress that would flare up is the, am I integrating work and family very well at the moment? So if I look at my kind of mantra in life i cram a lot in um i want to cram a lot in with the family there's a lot of things i want to do uh, we do as a family with my daughters uh, but also i've got a lot of things i want to do at work with clients and i get a complete energy of that so i know i get energy from being on the move and being on the goal the whole time uh, and i'm actually trying to integrate the family and the work piece in in as much balance as i could possibly get them into um, I know that I'm not doing that well if I wake at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning because uh, I normally sleep really well. But if I start waking up early and I yeah. literally can't get things out of my head, I know that's a stressor situation for me. And I know you've got to pay attention to this because even by your standards, Jill, you are cramming too much in. You're going to have to reprioritize that. Um, and just knowing that that's a stress behavior for you is is helpful. Everyone's different. You know, the other one I would say is if you start feeling guilty, kind of go, I think I'm getting this wrong a few times. Uh, guilt might be another stressor behavior. So I think if we can pay attention to what what it is. So first of all, the feeling we feel and then, OK, why am I feeling like that? What's caused it? Um, then that's really helpful. In my case, it would be, you know, the work you always want to meet people's expectations. So it could be, I don't take a live example, my daughter is like, you know, oh, we thought you'd have been home more times this week, mum. We didn't realise you're away so much. That mm. that for me is enough to floor me, for example. You know, it's mm. kind of, oh no, I thought I was doing really well and now that I'm not there. Or so just knowing what triggers that reaction in you. And it can be a very simple thing, uh, but it's typically something that's been triggered by something you really value. So you've said actually that was on my very important list and I'm now neglecting it. Therefore, I feel guilty. Therefore, I feel stressed. And the more that you catch that and unravel it quickly, um, the better, because often there's a, a small adjustment, to replan some stuff, reprioritize some other things. Uh, mm -hmm. But to your point, making a list or actually checking in with yourself more often to kind of go, hang on a minute, what what mode am I in before it gets to a really stressful situation is really helpful. And interesting when you start paying attention to it recurring patterns happen all the time so you start oh, hang on a minute i know it when i start feeling like this or i can't sleep at night or i i, I feel in this mode then something's going on stop a moment pause recalibrate do something different and then kind of move again yeah but i find people live with it for too long it's kind of yeah and then before you know it it's got really stressful and things start feeling conflictual and you know it, it becomes bad for our health if we do it that long. yeah no i agree you've um, made me reflect on something else that was really getting under my skin that I finally did something about and I'm already feeling better. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have twins, as you know, and they've just started high school. And for the last couple of years, I've really been, I'm the homework person, right? So my husband's got this really, I don't do homework policy. 
And so really, <laughs> I'm left doing a lot of the homework and um, for all of our three children. And I don't, and I'm one of those parents that obviously wants to be supportive. I'm certainly not doing it for them, but I'm, I've been having to have these conversations, right? So where you at with your homework? Have you got it done yet? What do you need help with? You know, what's coming up tomorrow? You know, just sort of staying on top of it with them, trying to hold them accountable to it. And then, of course, there's the awful project that comes up that, you know, it's six weeks worth of work that needs to be done. And, you know, when they go to high school, the projects get much harder as well. I know. And it's a long lead time and they've got a plan for it and mine are doing it at the last minute and it just ends in tears, you know, and shouts and arguments. And that has been a conflict in our house for actually a couple of years. Um, and I didn't see it getting better. Actually, I, I was really anxious about starting high school. <laughs> You were starting on love starting it. High school. <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm not doing it this year. Yeah. I'm not and I spoke to my husband, I said, we're not gonna do it the same way. We're just not gonna do this. And the reality is they need some support still with this. So we're gonna find a way to do this differently. And so we have. And we've got a lovely neighbour from around the corner who's just finished school and she's helping us out an hour a week and already it's making the world of difference yes brilliant and it's just one simple thing and and i thought right you know why don't i do this sooner <laughs> anyway i'm on to my next conflict issue i'm thinking ticking them off the list but yeah it is that i think to isolate what is it that's really causing you the grief or the stress and then obviously being able to decide okay one problem is a time how am i going to resolve that what are we going to you know, work on yeah and to the earlier discussion we were having is the what's on my only I can do list because yeah. on the only I can do list as mum it's not I have to help them do their high school you know homework right. someone yeah. else can do that but that means on your to-do list is probably more fun things with the family and things so so I think even knowing that and kind of getting that list together uh, we feel less guilty we kind of go do you know what the world's not going to fall apart if I don't do those things but yeah. actually I'd feel really bad if I didn't do these things I really enjoy them yeah so I think it's really powerful to do that otherwise we literally try and do everything uh, and eventually the wheels fall off if we try and do that so that's right <laughs> and I guess what we're talking about now is expectation management right our own expectation management and then some boundary setting mm -hmm. and and they actually see them as two different things because expectation management really happens first of all with you, right? What are my expectations in this moment with a work situation or with a home life situation? What am I wanting? What's my agenda here? What is it that I need and want in order to be satisfied with whatever it is that we're talking about? And then being able to stop and pause for a minute and go, well, what is the other person's agenda? What are they expecting? What are they needing? How am I going to make sure that there's a link between that and what I need and expect? And then from there, how do I set a boundary? Right. So that that looks like, a, I guess, in a work context to me about, let's say we're talking flexible work and we've been working really long hours and we're really struggling with you know, how we do get home on time, let's say, because we've gotten to this habit mm. with our colleagues of not, you know, saying yes to everything or working late on a particular thing and really being able to in that moment go, well, what's my expectation? Well, my expectation is I should be able to be finished from work and, and home with the family at six, let's say. Um, and 
that's not really working. That's not happening. So why not? What is the other person who contributes to that situation of me not being back at six look like? What are they expecting? What do they need? And how is it that we've somehow got a disconnect? And what conversation do I now need to go and have that says, well, actually, my expectations are gone by six? Yeah. Um, and that's where the boundary setting comes in. Now, again, in theory, that will sound so doable and sensible, but it doesn't play out like that. Why not, Jill? You know, when you have people come to you as the coaching, uh, you know, I know that you do in this space, and they present that kind of problem to you, what's going on? Why isn't this as simple as it should be? I think for me, we often don't communicate as clearly as you just uh, talked about there and I think part of it is first of all we don't know ourselves we've not done our own important list of you know this is very important to me and I'm going to try and orchestrate my work week to look like that so mm. I cram all these things in um, and therefore when we map that out you know to some extent who what are the enablers of me having a decent chance of this coming off as I say eight times out of ten five times out of ten rather than just being at everyone what everyone else needs is important so I think that's a key part of doing it so because most times, and I've had good conversations with people, it's like most, when you go to work, most people aren't trying to make your life miserable. They're not trying to book in that meeting at a really inconvenient time or asking you to do that final report just at a crucial point when you're trying to get out the door. But they may end up doing that if they don't know what's going on in your world. Um, so I actually find over communicating can be helpful. You know, so, it, you know, being about, you know, I go to, I don't know, tennis on a Wednesday, so I'm not going to book meetings on Wednesday afternoon if that's okay with everyone because, you know, I try to keep that commitment. And then someone else will kind of go, oh, yeah, I do this here. And um, another thing I found, particularly actually with senior execs who are having this challenge where, you know, when do we, what are our core hours of meetings, for example, in the office? You know, when do we schedule things for? Are we actually kind of using all the hours of the day and actually inadvertently kind of booking things in at a time when we always mm. know we run over an hour uh, and we are actually booking things end of day, you know, let, let's do them in the morning or just practical ways of managing the day. Um, but, and I and again, I know I'm a big planner, so you can probably sense by this, it's called Think, Plan, Live the Book for a reason. If you, <laughs> if you, plan, it, if you plan it out, I find it will come off more times than you think. And if you communicate with other people, most people kind of go, do you know what? Yeah, that's fine, actually. Yeah, I didn't realise you did that on a Tuesday. That's fine. Or um, I was doing some coaching the other day. And um, again, the, the lady I was coaching was trying to, again, juggle some of these things. I uh, was feeling really guilty that she wanted to drop off her you know, kids a couple of times a week. So she really wanted, you know, that was her thing on her very important list. I want to be able to do the school drop off a couple of times a week. I feel much better if I do that. I really enjoy it. And I feel like I keep crossing that off. Uh, but I feel really guilty if I ask about doing that. Um, and the interesting thing we had was when we map out all the things that she was doing, you know, like do this, I stay late for that. I'm already doing that. I work weekends, I do this. I pick up the laptop when I get home and do these things. So her list of all the things she went over and above on, I don't know, must have gone to about 25 <laughs> different points. And then the two things on the, what I'd really like to happen is drop off my boys to school two days a week. And we looked at the two role, you know, we looked at the two lists and kind of go, she went, it's not that unreasonable, is it, to drop them off if I'm doing all this? I think, no, nah, it's not that unreasonable. Um, yet we still feel guilty about it unless we kind of think about it more proactively. So so a couple of things there in summary. You know, do plan it out so it comes off more times than you think and then communicate with others really. 
get them on board uh, because again people generally want to help us they're not trying to make our life difficult or put in those annoying meetings just at the crucial point but if they don't know that we've got other stuff going on um, sometimes that kind of trips over what we're trying to do and we can end up feeling resentful when really they may have had no clue that we, you know, that's going to impact on us. Yeah, I'll just pick you up on something else you said that was interesting then as well, and that is the reasonableness test, right? Mm. Is this reasonable? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that goes two ways. You know, being able to, in that conflict moment, asking yourself, is this reasonable, what's happening to me? You know, is this yep. reasonable for me to expect this? Um, it's because it's an interesting question because that can make you stop and then actually answer that question. Yes, it is actually because blah, 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 or no, it's not because of A, Good B point. and C. Um, so I think that is this reasonable? Asking that question of yourself just can make you stop for a minute and actually pause and reflect on what is happening to then allow you time to actually think about how you want to respond to that. Um, and likewise, you know, I guess externally that happening to you. So when things are being asked of you as well, is this reasonable? So your own thinking, am I thinking reasonably about this, as well as doing the reasonableness test when someone else is asking you to do something. Um, I've used it before, actually, and it's worked quite well with the kids, um, <laughs> you know, where I will literally, they'll be asking, and it's often, let's face it, often unreasonable <laughs> children are demanding <laughs> from us. And the mine are a little bit older now, so I am able to sit down and go, actually, is that reasonable, what you're asking for right now? And literally, <laughs> my older ones have gone, oh, no, no, but, and I go, no, no, there's no but. <laughs> is it reasonable right now to be actually asking that of me? And then usually there is, when I ask it again, <laughs> no, okay, all right, well, when can I? And I go, ah, well, now we can talk. You can come and talk to me about that in an hour or let's talk about that tomorrow. Or, And that has actually dealt with it in that moment. So I love this reasonableness test that we can be asking of ourselves and others. I think it's really helpful. Yeah. No, I think the reasonable test work, and again, in a workplace setting, um, I do the outcome test, if that, if that makes sense, because I find, again, back to that conflictual situation about particularly the people who are working flat out of work aren't, aren't getting home when they feel they should and, you know, are feeling pretty burnt out. Um, I find a lot in a lot of organisations you can end up working in tasks rather than outcomes. So, you know, so at the 11th hour of the day, someone might kind of go, I need this done. And you kind of go, oh, do I stay back and do that or you know, and many people kind of plough on through and kind of stay back and then feel resentful for, for doing it. If you do the outcome test rather than the task test is the what outcome are you trying to get to? You know, I need this done. I've got this important report and it needs to go here. Um, you can assess whether, to be honest, if you did that by tomorrow morning or if you went home and did what you planned to do anyway and then worked on it a bit later, um, whether that would still achieve the outcome. And I find, again, nine times out of ten it does. And if you can get people working on outcomes and sharing their outcomes, there is probably more flex than we think there is in terms of how we do things. So I think in the work environment, that's quite key as well aligning on outcomes and I think most times we can use a little bit more flex rather than feeling if someone asks me for a task and they need it now I'm just going to drop everything and do it um, so I think that would be a key work version so reasonableness test and outcome tests are probably good, good nice. ways of doing it yeah <laughs> nice one of the other things we've started doing in our team is this idea of doing a time audit 
right? So what are we really spending time on? And we're doing it as a team because we're actually introducing some new things that we're doing, one of which is we're now doing eight podcasts a month. That's a lot. <laughs> so, you know, how are we going to manage that? And there's a number of other things we're doing that's new. And so we've got really quite good at starting to do a time examination. And even this morning we were having this conversation and I, um, you know, was on the peripheral of the conversation and I I turned into the conversation as it was occurring in front of me and I said, actually, guys, you know, time-wise, let's, you know, let's just have a think about that. Is that critical now and where does it fit into and is this something we'll solve today? And, you know, and just being, you know, in that moment questioning, you know, is this what is going to be the best use of our time right now or you know, what is it that we can do differently? And being disciplined to actually stop and ask those questions. Mm -hmm. So we're doing it of each other. It's actually working quite well. It's already in the last week. We've actually stopped doing some stuff. Yeah. It's really interesting. And really going, yeah, actually, no, we don't need to be doing this. That's a good thing. Or we can put that off to next week. Or And we hadn't been doing that. You know, that was something that you know, we were just so busy, like everybody else in a team, get to work, what's our inbox telling us to do and getting down to it and off we went and getting into the habit of really thinking about how we're using our time and really thinking as, you know, time as being one of our most important assets and we don't want to waste it. You know, we've got families to get home to and things to do. So, you know, how do we make sure that we use it and honour it, actually, time as one of our most important assets? Totally agree. And, again, I some of the work I did on time investment, I mean, again, coming from the corporate world, we talk about return on invested capital. I introduced a new measure, which is return on invested time, uh, <laughs> because we think about how we spend our money, but time is a really important asset, you know. So so thinking about and investing it, literally, as you would yeah. invest money, uh, because, you, you know, like I've only got, everyone's got the same number of hours in the day, so we can't claim that anyone's got more hours than we've got but then how we invest them to kind of go that's going to give me my best return on my day um, is a really key key piece uh, because when you start looking at that you can declutter a whole range of things you can be I don't know if you're in the business world you know that the meetings you go to where it's a half day meeting and quite frankly you're 15 minutes of the agenda you start getting more focused about hang on a minute I'm only going to go for a small subset of that or your commute time or your you come if you become really conscious about time it's a really good way of, of doing this integration because you kind of become really aware of wasted time and well invested time and um it's a really good it's another good simple way of doing it even if you list it out 24 hours in a day um, the amount of people who can save time by, I don't know, commuting at a better time, working from home sometimes, not going to meetings that don't work. Um, you know, there's a whole range of things that we can do. So, again, yeah, time is another good way of looking at it. And then having that conversation like you did in the team, kind of going, where are we spending spending our time as a team? Yeah. And really um, the last thing I want to touch on on this topic of time is coming back to the should conversation oh. <laughs> <laughs> I should be using my time to do this I should be doing that um, and quite often that that should word um, isn't really something that inspires ownership and so when we start having that conversation in our head oh, I really should be 
you know, leaving right now because I need to get home in time for dinner or I really should be prioritising whatever it might be. Um, I always try and stop when that little voice goes in my head and that should word comes up and go, well, who am I really doing this for? Like why have I just said should (laughs) and what's that about? Because I think there's a whole lot of shoulds that drive and motivate us on a regular basis or on a daily basis that really are often unhelpful and, you know, we almost sleepwalk into the day ahead with a whole lot of shoulds on our shoulders. And so how do we we be aware of that or conscious of that and what do we do about it if shoulds are ruling our world? You know, what are the... Mm. What are your thoughts on that? I think it depends whether, I mean, I'm with you on the should because should suggest it's almost like a burden of a duty that I should do this and and we've not owned it. So the challenge with should is is a lack of ownership because you're feeling the duty Mm. to do it but without the ownership. Uh, I'd much rather have I want um, or, you know, because it's a more active choice. and, and again, if we got those lists of should, then the, the duties kind of appear. But then what do we want from that? Which ones do we own and which ones do other people own as well? So I think um, if we haven't sorted through that, you know, there's a whole range of things we should do. Um, and the list will only get longer because other people will add to it. So the challenge with the should list is like, well, you really should Never be doing ending. this at work and you really should be adding that. And the kids should say, oh, you really should be home more often. <laughs> or, you know, there's a whole range yeah. of shoulds. But then back to the planning part is the, okay, it's a big list there, but what would I like to do? What do I value? So I think I want an I value. So if you end up with an I value list, it would it would guide your I should list that. You know, I value these things. And as a result of that, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to invest my time here. So I think it's about being proactive rather than reactive yeah. um, is, is a key blend, really. So if I go out thinking if I proactively manage my day to the best of my ability, then I'm going to get 80 percent of it right. And then I'm going to get, get thrown some other things that are complete curveballs um, and I'll adapt to those. But I've, I've actually got probably more control, than I think. Um, and I find that's the challenge. Sometimes people, people feel out of control, which I totally get. And I felt like that as well. But when I feel out of control, I know it's because I've not had time to think or, or put things in perspective. Um, and I've heard people even say that, look, Jill, I'd love to work on this, but I'm just too busy to think. Uh, people yeah. have actually said that. Like, Whoa, stop the train a moment. Um, pause. Uh, because if, we, if we've become too busy to think, we are in a world of shoulds and pulled in all directions. Oh, so, we are sleepwalking, yeah. Yeah, exactly. frankly. Yeah. Don't forget, everyone, if you want to ask questions on the show, that's what we're here for. Please send them through um, using the question box in front of you on the GoTo webinar control panel. Um, yeah. I. Yeah, totally agree. This idea of, you know, being too busy. You know, how how are you today? Oh, I'm really busy. <laughs> it's that really common response that, you know, comes out of most of our mouths. I'm guilty of that too. And, you know, how do we um, tackle that automatic response? Because I often think it is an automatic response. I'm good. I'm really busy at the moment. Right. Well, you know, if one <laughs> actually I'm... I'm wondering if, you know, if someone actually tackled me and said, oh, really? What are you really busy with? <laughs> what I might say. And, you know, from time to time, you know, of course, people ask that that kind of question, maybe not as directly as that. And they'll go, oh, that's great. Yeah, what's happening? You know, and I do find myself going, um, 
where do I begin? <laughs> and so really, as you say, stopping in that moment to go, actually, what am I really busy with? That's a really um, inane kind of response. It doesn't tell anyone anything. It's not a helpful response. Um, actually can contribute to our feelings of being overwhelmed. How do we stop being busy? Big question. <laughs> it depends on what your definition of busy is. So for me, I am energised from juggling lots of things and, you know, doing a lot of things, and I, I actually get energised from it. Now, someone else's definition, that could be you're really busy, Jill, and people do say that to me, but I kind of go... Oh, I'm not really busy. I'm kind of energized by it. So I think the test is one of are you energized or are you just busy? Um, so that would be a key key lens on it. And then I think um, busy with what is a good question, because, again, back to that, I think energized is a good lens on that. Am I energized by what I'm doing? Because busy suggests to me I'm full of things that are keeping me busy. Um, but it, again, it suggests to some extent a lack of control, maybe, or, you know, they're not of my making or I should be doing it. It's my should list. Um, so I think to some extent to check in on how many of the things are keeping me busy, as in I didn't create them and I'm feeling busy with them. And I, I don't know, rushing to the supermarket, getting the kids stuff sorted. Those are all busy things for me. And then what am I energized by? Oh, I'm energized by, you know, that trip we're organizing or that holiday we're doing or the, you know, the, the time I've just spent on something. So I think even being conscious of the language is a really helpful one because, as I say, busy to me suggests it's almost hoisted upon us rather than, you know, the proactive version of that about, you know, what gives you energy. Um, but I come back to this point about pausing, Emma, because I think if we feel busy, busy almost suggests we haven't quite processed it. So to your point, mm. if someone said, mm. well, what are you busy with? You kind of go, oh, hang on a minute, what am I busy with? Um, so it's back to that moment of pausing and I mean pausing I know I talk about planning a lot but a plan can mean a five minute plan as in I've paused I've checked in with myself and kind of go how does the week ahead the day ahead look well hang on a minute it's looking pretty switched on or hang on a minute that doesn't look like it's going to work or um so I think it's that's that pause um because it's almost mm -hmm. busy as I say is a we haven't processed it it's like oh, I just know that I've got no time it's, it's another almost shortcut but I have no time Mm. Um, and therefore it's like whoa that's interesting what are you spending your time on oh now you mentioned it what am I spending my time on and then you're back to the am I investing in the right places so so as I say when I say think it through it's a pause it's a with your coffee it's a bit of a routine you know where you just kind of go when's my moment in the day when I pause it can be brushing your teeth it doesn't really matter it can take a minute it doesn't have to be some fully involved mapping process it can be when do I pause with myself and kind of go Am I energised by today? Does it look like it's all going to stack up okay? Or am I just in for a world of business and shoulds, in which case pause a bit longer? <laughs> exactly. Look, um, when I think about the people um, that I know that do this stuff well, um, that seem to be really disciplined around how they use their time and what they're busy with, as you say, and you read the research around highly mm -hmm. effective people and their, their habits on these things, there's a couple of things that stand out and one of them is people that think and, you know, about purposely about what they're doing and how they're investing their time get to the end of the day and they go, what did I get done today that I'm really pleased with? You know, or what did I get done? What, what did I achieve? Mm -hmm. And the focus is actually on everything that they did do. Yes. Not the things that they the didn't do. 
And it's such a subtle yet very powerful way of ending the day. So I've got into that habit. I've done it for years now, and it's really helped Great. me manage my own stress around things as well to get to the end of the day. And I literally go, okay, what did we get done today? Right, that happened, that happened, and that was good, and that happened. Great. And then I will say, okay, what's on tomorrow? And when do you do it? Do you have a certain time of day where you kind of check in with yourself? Or? Yeah. Oh, look, it can happen at all. It could be on the way home. It could be, you know, as I check out of the last meeting for the day. It could be as I go to bed. Uh, it, you know, it, I don't actually have a ritual for the time it happens, but pretty much every day I go through this little checklist. And I must admit, you know, I'm that kind of person who does like to feel like they've achieved at the end of the day. Yeah. So maybe that's certainly part of the motion, motivation to do it. But yep, that happened. Did that, did that, did that. What do I need to do tomorrow? I, I really, really ask myself, what didn't I do today? And I think for me, it's really helped shape, you know, it reframes it, reframes yeah. it. Yeah. And really helped shape also, you know, the priorities for you know, what's going to happen the next day. And I lose the, oh, I didn't do that, you know, and that guilt that we can place mm -hmm. in ourselves because I found a long time ago it really wasn't serving me very well and just made me feel inadequate, frankly, at the end of each day rather than focused on what you, you have yeah. achieved. I think that's very powerful. Final thoughts, Jill, before we finish up this conversation today because I'm thinking about time and how we use it wisely. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, is there anything further that is really, from your perspective, going to be useful to set you up for a conflict-free year? Final thoughts on it. I think for me, and we talked a lot of things across across the kind of the conversation, but I think we're probably more in control than we think. We will always be hit by things that may mean that we feel it's conflictual, uh, but reframing it from work-life balance or conflict into integration. How do I integrate my life? How do I really spend time on the things I value? How do I invest my time wisely and then check in on it? it it's a constant work in progress. So if we end up with that radar, we get a good radar on ourselves, and we kind of know when we're in the zone. We can spot those stress behaviours. We can spot when we feel anxious. We can recalibrate uh, because often with these things, it's not like a big course and adjustment. If we pay more attention to it, it's almost a series of small tweaks and adjustments. Um, if we don't pay attention to it, it gets worse, it escalates, we get more stressed out, we feel more conflicted. And then when we say we need to adjust, the adjustment's much bigger. It may have impacted our health. We may be feeling very stressed out by that point and we may have lost all perspective on it as well. So I think that's the was the main message I'd say is the is it easy no we're constantly calibrating life's going to stuff throw stuff at us all the time but those little tweaks and adjustments and checking in and all the little tools and techniques that we've talked about give you a decent chance of staying in the zone more often um, and then when something major does happen it doesn't completely throw you um, out, you know out of whack and you can't kind of get back from it so that would be my my kind of observation, Emma, in terms of a, a parting thought. What about you? Well, I think that it's also normalising that most days, unfortunately, don't go to plan. <laughs> go to plan. Because <laughs> that life happens, right? Of course. And it's important to have some intentions that you set for the day. Be purposeful about how you're using your time. But recognising that it's really, I guess, a time, you know, a day that I get to the end of the day and it went, you know, as I thought it would, that there weren't things that popped up and 
problems that you know or dramas that happened that I didn't anticipate. Uh, that that is normal to have those kind of conflicts. We all have them. We can't avoid them. It's about remembering to know that there is always what I call a tipping point where um, there's a line that we must recognise that all of us have. There's, your line will be different from mine. Mm -hmm. Where I, that's the tolerance levels. We've just tipped over it. Like, that's not reasonable anymore. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. And just recognising, you know, what are we in fact tolerating on a day-to-day -day basis? Because when you, um, I guess, put up with that stuff, you are actually endorsing it. So really having to think about where's my line, um, what am I tolerating, what am I prepared to tolerate, what am I not prepared to tolerate anymore, and therefore I am committed to actually making a change there. I'm going to do this differently this year, a bit like I, I talked about homework. Yes. Um, and really then when you do that, you're freed up to actually act. And I would agree, you know, we are in more control than we realise we are, even though there's lots of external noise and boundaries that would suggest to us that we're not. So really taking time, no one can stop us from self-reflect. You know, that really is ours to own. No one can ever stop us from self-reflecting. That is um, an opportunity to really think about how you're using your time, how you're using your day and recognising that there's always tomorrow. <laughs> there's always Good day. passing thought that one. There's always another day to try again to do it differently. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you very much to everyone for joining us here today. If you wanted to ask a question, didn't get a chance to, weren't sure how to use the technology to even do so, but have enjoyed the conversation, need some more help, or yeah, just have another question that you want to ask Jill and I, you can do so anytime. You can just send your question to info at parentsatwork.com.au and we'd be happy to answer it. Thank you very much for listening today and look forward to seeing you at our next episode of the Career and Life Wellbeing podcast this time next month. Thanks, Jill. Thank you. Thank you.